The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champion. Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast, presented by Axia Time, a Western edition, as I am in Vail, Colorado, after a successful PLL weekend at Denver. Great crowds. Coach Tierney joined us, and the action was really, really intense. A high-scoring weekend, playoff picture starting to solidify and to gel, uh, still wide open with the arches up top, but it was a great weekend, and working with Coach Tierney was Really special. You know, Coach Tierney recruited me in the mid-80s. Uh, I remember meeting him at the Palmanuck Lacrosse Camp, which was Fran McCall, Bethpage High School, ran this uh, small camp up in Connecticut. And it was the only lacrosse camp that I ever went to. My, my dad sent me up there for the weekend, really as a tune-up for the Empire State Games. Uh, and I ended up playing pretty well. But uh, I think the key thing at that camp was I had a lot of assistant college coaches who would shoot on me before and after sessions. And so I was seeing college level shots as a high school junior. And Coach Tierney was one of those guys with his left handed laser. And we, we talked and, and formed the, the start of a relationship now that would last, uh, what, 30, 40 years later. So it was really special. Uh, his vision, his uh, lacrosse brain, obviously without parallel. So it was fascinating to call a game alongside him to kind of show him uh, how we operate on TV and for him to take us uh, underneath the curtain in terms of how a coach looks at some of the scenarios that we encountered. PLL got two more weeks of the regular season. This weekend, they're in Seattle, Tacoma, uh, playing on Friday and Saturday. It's week 10 Archer's Whip Snakes are on Friday night on ESPN2. I think it's a 9 o'clock Eastern start. Archers are in first place. Whip Snakes have won three in a row. That should be a good game. The late game on Friday is Atlas and Cannons. Atlas are desperate for a win. They're trying to avoid uh, joining the Chrome in the cellar. And the Cannons had their five-game win streak snapped last week. Saturday, it's Chrome and Redwoods. Can the Chrome score against the Redwoods? And then Chaos and Water Dogs. Chaos, uh, obviously, they have got the history of making a September run. Without Josh Byrne in the lineup, I think they're a little vulnerable. And then you got the Water Dogs, who are dealing with some injuries in the midfield with guys like Jake Carraway and Thomas McConvey. But the Water Dogs getting a really strong attack play from Kieran McCardle, Ethan Walker, and Michael Sowers. It's defense extremely active in the cause and turnovers. That game will be, I think it's going to start at 10.30 on ESPN+. Plus. Again, this weekend from Seattle, they'll wrap things up at Salt Lake. Kark will be going out to Salt Lake August 25, 26 for Week 11 
which is the final week of PLL regular season action. Archers at seven and one sit uh, atop first place. They've clinched uh, the championship series. They have clinched uh, playoff berth. Cannons and Water Dogs, both five and three. Then you got a pack at four and four. Whip Snakes, winners of three straight. Chaos, I think, will have a lot of upside. And then the Redwoods, all three of those teams are at four and four. Atlas, two and six. Chrome, one and seven. Playoffs are quarterfinals. There's three quarterfinal games. The top seed gets a bye. Uh, the quarters are on September 4th. That's a Monday. That's Labor Day from Gillette Stadium in Boston. There'll be three consecutive quarterfinals. I believe one of those games can be seen on ESPN2. The remainder will be on ESPN+. Semifinals will be played on Sunday, September 10th, Hofstra Stadium on Long Island. ABC action begins at 3 o'clock. That's the semifinals, Sunday, September 10th from Hofstra. Finals... Sunday, September 24th, there's a week off, and we'll come back for the championship game that I'll be working, 3 o'clock, Philadelphia. Uh, it's on ABC, Sunday, September 24th. So mark your calendar in terms of the playoffs. It's Labor Day, September 10, and September 24th. Archer's the favorites right now in Vegas at plus 250. Whipsnakes are the second choice at plus 450. Cannons at plus 500 after that loss, and Water Dogs at plus 500. But quite honestly, I wouldn't rule out the Chaos at plus 750. The Redwoods are plus 750, and if they can get the complimentary scoring that we saw last week from Eddie Glazner, Brian Tevlin, uh, and even Arden Cohen hitting a, a distant two on the run. Redwoods are plus 750. Atlas, Atlas are plus 850 in Vegas, and then the Chrome are basically mathematically eliminated, but they're plus 7,500, so don't waste your money there. MVP race is crystallizing, really is a, a two-player battle right now, it would appear. Tom Schreiber and Marcus Holman, uh, way, way, way atop guys like Asher Nolting, Kieran McCardle, Blaze Reardon, Ryder Gardensey, who got off to such a hot start this season, and Rob Pinnell, who's been really consistent. Trevor Baptiste, I think the, return, the reigning MVP – would be in contention, except his team, again, is two and six, the Atlas. And Brent Dobson's done a really nice job as a first-year starter in the Nets for the Archers. Uh, value would be Michael Sowers at plus 7,500. His shooting percentage is down a little this summer. But if Sowers were to get hot these last two weeks and play MVP like lacrosse in the quarter semis and finals, I could see him leapfrogging a lot of guys on this list. Rookie of the year. Uh, it's been a fascinating summer for the rookies. I mean, you've got, you've got guys who started strong and are fading right now. You've got others who are finally getting a lot of playing time, like Cole Curse and playing with incredible confidence. Tucker Dordovic is the standalone favorite in minus 180. Okay, he's being chased by Mike Sisselberger. I'm not quite sure if Archer's faceoff man, Sisselberger, the rookie out of Lehigh, can catch him. Brian Minicus, Matt Campbell, Xander Dixon, I think, are in the next tier. Cross Ferrero's got to be mentioned, along with Gavin Adler, the defender, number one pick for the Atlas. Injured his calf last week during training on Thursday. Now, he was on site in Denver. It didn't look good. He had his calf wrapped up. I'm not sure how severe that injury it is, but if he can't dress the rest of the way, the Atlas is going to have to hit the waiver wire to get some close D. And, well, the Atlas D has really struggled, quite honestly. Uh from a personnel standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, they, they have not been uh, spectacular this season. Drafting two rookies on defense in the same class in the top three 
when you take a guy like Gavin Adler and Cornell number one, and you come back at number three and te- take Brett Maycar, again, you know, they say in the NFL and they say in college football, when you play freshman in college football, that equates to losses. Uh, in the NFL, the same goes true. How many rookies you're going to start on defense? And every rookie usually equates to at least one loss. So I think the Atlas leaning on such youth on defense came back to haunt them. Although they're still in the hunt, two and six, they're only minus 14 in the goal differential, which is really crazy because you've got the the Redwoods are four and four minus 14. The Atlas, two and six minus 14. And so you see what losing three one-goal games can do to your overall ledger. Uh, and that's why I still think the Atlas have upside and could go on a run if they can figure out their defense which is uh, the worst in the league, especially their transition defense. And, you know, you watch them on tape, they give up three fast break goals a game. That's really the difference in their ball games. So what happens is it's, it's either turnovers or bad shots and then inefficient substitutions where you're giving up five on fours and six on fives. And so often Xander Dixon's caught on the crease and makes a beeline to the box. Chris Gray and Jeff Teat, on a turnover, generally are kind of top of the arc, and they're not getting back on defense. And so there's been all sorts of trailer breaks, transition opportunities that opponents have capitalized against the Atlas. And, you know, it's just remarkable that Trevor Baptiste can continue to put up the numbers that he has in the face-off department. The Atlas continue to try to innovate and try to improve their 32-second shot clock offense off those face-off wins, but uh, at 2-6, and six, I think the results speak for themselves. I think this initial season has been more challenging, more difficult than Mike Pressler, rookie coach out of Bryant and Duke and Ohio Wesleyan, could ever have imagined. Clearly, that there is a difference in the, in the way uh, you structure your team, your practices, your preparation between college and pro. And like so many college coaches who have jumped to the pro ranks. And I think of Dave Cottle and Tony Seaman. I think of guys like Bear Davis. I think of uh, Jimmy Stagnita and others. I'm sure I've missed many others, but there's they're certainly uh, a getting used to period. And in Brian Holman's case with the Cannons, his one advantage was his son, uh, is his son, Marcus, who not only is on his team right now serving as their maybe their best player and captain and leader, but also a guy who's been playing professional lacrosse for almost a decade. And so Brian's been going to pro games. Brian's been part of his son's journey, understanding the challenges that that, that the modern pro athlete faces off the field in terms of rest and recuperation and training and film work and Zooms and schematic work with the team, travel, diet, showing up on site and trying to get a, a week's worth of practice crammed into two sessions. Uh, and so I, I think Coach Holman had a little bit of an edge in terms of prior knowledge. Uh, and he's done a remarkable job, Brian Holman has, as, as head man of the Cannons, uh, even though they had a little setback last week. But this team was really, really, really unsuccessful last year in 2022. And they've turned things around and are in the hunt for the playoffs and beyond. Uh, right now, I want to take a look at each team with some items uh, off of the Denver weekend that, that I think are kind of critical moving forward. When, I'm going to start with the Redwoods. You know, there are games on TV where defenders stand out and we're able to gloss and, and speak about them glowingly. 
And there's other games where defenders get smoked and burnt and give up a lot of goals. And uh, it's it's hard for us not to pile on what you see visually. And, and somewhere in between usually lies the truth. And generally speaking, if we go a game in the booth and don't mention you as a close defender or short stick defensive midi and you got ample shifts, that generally means you did pretty well. And that's been the case all summer long for Garrett Apple. I think he's the centerpiece of this Redwoods defense. They're using him interesting right now. They're bumping him up to the midfield um, line in riding situations, trying to create some some tempo in games. It feels like the Redwoods have shifted to trying to play more up-tempo. And, and last week, certainly, they ran better from defense to offense. Arden Cohen nailed a two. Eddie Glazner took the ball coast-to-coast for a, a key goal late in that game. And Brian Tevlin playing a two-way role, staying on and, and, and playing some offense while also playing on man-down D. The guy is everywhere. Tevlin had a goal. I think that complementary scoring is going to be necessary for the Redwoods to make a playoff run because I just don't see the power from their midfield right now. Cole Kirst is playing great. Charlie Bertrand scored the game winner when he rolled uh, left to right and kind of went down the alley uh, in a seeming a game that seemingly wouldn't end. What a, what an incredible finish. And, and watching overtime lacrosse in the pro level compared to college or high school is really fascinating because in college, it's all about possession and then the timeout. And the coach scripts and, and you play in these little 20, 30 second or one minute little compartments. You make a stop defense. We get the ball across the midfield line, get in the box, timeout. Uh, at the pro level, it's played much more seamlessly. Uh, there's no end in sight and no one can bail the team out with a timeout. So it was a fascinating long overtime period as, as the Redwoods. Just toe-to-toe, haymaker after haymaker. Guys were exhausted. Uh, so reliant on players. And I think this is a, such a benefit for, for athletes. You take responsibility of every possession. There's no coach to bail you out with a timeout or set up the game-winning play. It's on you. And so I think when you think about overtimes, you think about all you do prior, during the game, during the prior weeks, during your training, during practice, to put you in position to operate without that help from the sideline. Uh, and that was evident in the Redwoods overtime win. What can we say about Rob Pinnell? Well, you know, I, I've said it on the air. I think he's played his most uh, complete summer of lacrosse. You know, there's something going on where he is really content and happy off the field here. He's not chasing points. He's not chasing headlines. He's not chasing the five and three game. He's just kind of letting it come to him. And Rob has continued to make brilliant decisions this summer, distributing, uh, going to the goal for himself late in the shot clock when he has to, when it's necessary. I've really been impressed with the way uh, this 2013 graduate of Cornell has put together uh, just a masterful summer. And if you're a young attack player, when you tune in these games on ESPN Plus, ESPN2 or ABC, you know, chart chart Rob's game. You know, write down some notes on, on what he's doing uh, in certain situations, whether it's transition, the power play, even strength when he's at X, when he's at a wing, because I think you can really learn a lot. Uh, I, I think he's putting on a master class on how to play attack. Rob Pinnell, the Redwoods. Spin things to the Water Dogs, team who won the championship last year for Andy Copeland. Uh, dealing with two injuries 
out of Baltimore, Jake Caraway and Thomas McConvey, both with hamstring injuries. The McConvey hamstring injury was one of the more ugly leg injuries that we've seen. It was a hyperextension. I was begging and praying with our production crew not to show the replay. They did. Uh, fortunately for us, McConvey, I think, was spared any kind of joint uh, injury, and it's just a hamstring. So I think questions going forward for the Water Dogs. The faceoff department, you know, can teams win a playoff game when conceding all these faceoffs and trying to generate turnovers? The Water Dogs are the best in the business at creating turnovers this season. Their defense is extremely agile. This is a roster when you're down on the sideline. They don't wow you with their size, but man, they are fit and they have great speed. I would say the Water Dogs, to me, being down on the benches have the fastest roster. Now, there's some other rosters in this league that you're down there and you're like, wow, these guys are just huge. Redwoods defense, big. Chrome offense, big. Uh, Atlas, small and skilled. Uh, Cannons, a little bit kind of a, a mix. I would say they're, they're par for the course. Whip Snakes have some incredible size when you're talking about guys like Zed Williams, Matt Rambo, Michael Earhart, Matt Dunn. Uh, that's a big roster. That's a bruising roster. So the Water Dogs come across to me as a team with wonderful speed. Face-off issues, as I say, going forward, I think their strength is going to be their attack. Kieran McArdle's putting together such a, an incredible summer with Team USA. Uh, had some uh, stellar games, and, and and now alongside Mike Sowers and Ethan Walker, I think that group is gelling. When I think of a great attack units, you know, to me it's like the Beatles. You know, to me it's like I think about the Princeton Tiger attack: Jesse Hubbard, uh, John Hess, that group, and you know, the the ability to uh, defer. You know, you normally would be a number one guy on any other team. John Lennon would be a lead singer for any group in, Amer in, in America in the, in, in, the, in the universe. John Lennon would. But at times he was willing to defer to Paul McCartney. Uh, and so I think when you think about McCardle, Ethan Walker, and Sowers, you've got guys who could play re leading roles, but they're more into playing the team role. What works now on this possession? And Walker has been a lot more position flexible than we ever imagined ending up on the right wing the left wing inside up top his passing skills seem to get better with age and so that's why i think the water dogs have upside cannons have been the story of the summer they won five straight games last year i believe they only won one or two games how have they done it well culture you know you spend time with this team on the bench and uh all for one i mean it, it feels like Brian Holman has instituted a culture where they understand that hey, the only the only thing that matters is is playing together, playing winning lacrosse, and trying to get out of here with a win. And uh, the transformation of that franchise has been remarkable. I think the two issues going forward for the Cannons, well, three really, penalties. You know, they dress six poles, and they got guys flying around the middle of the field, and Ethan Rawl, Matt Reese, and Kyle Hartzell. But uh, penalties, penalties cost them the game last week. To give up four power play goals, penalties have been an issue. It means you're playing too much defense. And penalties in combination with their lack of a FOGO, lack of any kind of face-off stats, uh, just means they're logging too, too much time on defense. And, get, and when you get tired, you tend to foul. So I think the Cannons have to clean up their penalties. I think the long-term face-off strategy is going to be interesting. They just... They do not have a FOGO right now that I feel confident in, so they too are going to be conceding and chasing 
trying to win that, uh, the math that way. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Uh, injury to, to Matt Cavanaugh hurt last week. It looks like he'll be back. Um, upper body injury took, looked like he took a shoulder to the chin. And because they don't, they're a little shorthanded offensively uh, because they dress six poles. It feels like they, they don't have the, the subs. It, it looked like Jonathan Donville ended up that cannons game on attack. Well, we talked about the Atlas and their bad defense and their bad transition defense and the positives of Trevor Baptiste. I'm not sure what more I can say about the Atlas. I, I, I do think that Jeff Teed on attack has to go to the goal a little more for himself. Uh, I think he's hovering and floating a little too much on the on the perimeter off of his two-man games instead of attacking and drawing double teams. And I think some good looks will open up if he can be a little more aggressive. Chris Gray went from a great game in Baltimore, I believe it was an eight-point game, to a subpar performance in Denver. You know, that's not unusual. That's not unusual. You know, I, I've been covering pro lacrosse long enough to understand that the second you write somebody off, they're going to have a good game and everybody's capable. And sometimes as coach Tierney pointed out, you know, it's amazing that these stars can be kind of quiet for a quarter or two. And then the ball comes their way. The situations break their way and pop, pop, pop. Next thing you know, they get a hat trick quarter. So uh, I, I, I don't have any concerns about the Atlas offense. Atlas issues are clearly their defense, their goaltending and their transition D. Archers, the team to beat. Tommy Schreiber, man, if you're a young midi, you, you need to be watching and charting these games, writing down some notes on how Tom Schreiber attacks the goal, how he – the angles that he goes to the goal from to give himself a two-way go, that is an unassisted goal or to draw a double and find a passing lane. Uh, the thing that sets Tommy apart is his vision. I mean, he can see through the forest. I'm looking at some aspen trees right now, and he can see through the aspen trees to find that bird perched up, uh, perched up on, on, on a branch. Uh, he can see through the pines. He can see through the traffic. Uh, somehow he does it. He's not looking at his man. He's not even looking at the double team man. His eyes are, are on the two slide uh, and w where that, that look is going to be. Archer's offense, uh, really strong. You know, Mac O'Keefe has filled his role as the, the stretch shooter. Connor Fields is one of the most dangerous Dodgers in the league, especially late in the shot clock. He loves to yo-yo, to go back and forth, back and forth with one hand on a stick on that left-hand side off a two-man game or solo. And he's just, he's, uh, he's like a jellyfish, man. He's tough to stay with. And defenders end up overplaying him one way or the other. You know, in the past, the way to defend Fields was to force him underneath and that would give him the ability to shoot only. When he curls left-handed and gets topside, he's got that two-way ability to feed any righties or shoot. And I think then you, you're dealing defensively with, with uh, a no-win situation. So teams have generally taken away his left hand, get up topside, turn him underneath, and then try for the trail check. But we've seen many times this summer how he's made these acrobatic diving shots across the tangent of the crease or at GLE on that left side. Uh, certainly, Connor Fields, he survives car accidents, man. This this guy gets beaten up. This guy gets beaten up. So many tail end of his plays end up with massive uh, pileups. Guys on the ground, and Connor emerges and bounces away for the next shift. I think Grant Damon is is uh, the piece of the, the chess piece that's most interesting going forward. Matt Moore got hurt in Denver late in that game, and Amon came back to his normal attack role. They've been running him out of the box 
His legs looked better in Denver than they looked in Baltimore. He looked kind of sluggish coming off the hamstring injury. In Denver, I thought Grant had his pop, but now he's got to find his confidence again. Okay, it's been a rough summer. It's been a rough two years for Grant. And, you know, with confidence, if they can get Grant going, in my eyes, they are the favorite. They are legitimate. Without Grant, I think they're putting a lot on the hands of Schreiber, Fields, and O'Keefe. So let's see how Grant Ament looks in the last couple weeks of the season. Whip Snakes, Jimmy Stagnina gaining momentum. They've won three straight. Uh, Grant Krebs, their goalie, second-year pro out of Manhattan. East Williston Park, Long Island. I think he would have gone to Wheatley High School. Ended up going to Chaminade. And, man, Chaminade has just become such a factory for college and pro lacrosse players. And Krebs was awesome last week. I think he made 17 stops. Whip Snakes, all-terp defense. Will always be good. I think my concern with the Whip Snakes defense are their short stick defensive midfielders. I think they're really good. I don't think they're great. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see down the stretch how they handle two man games. Connor Kirst has played really well uh, as a two way guy. He is uh, in incredible condition right now, changed his body from his days at Rutgers and Villanova. He can run with people, he's a major threat in transition. Uh, you know, the cursed trio of brothers, I can't, I can't say enough positives about their impact in the league this year. I talked about Cole, the Redwoods, now going to the goal, taking shorties with uh, the utmost confidence. Just, just, I just didn't see that when he was at Lehigh or, or Syracuse. Uh, Connor playing D-mid and Colin, of course, now I think he's number two or three in save percentage in the league for the Cannons. So the cursed family has uh, made the summer of 2023 their home. Whip snakes against shorties, little concern. I think the major upgrades have been with getting healthy. Uh, Brad Smith at the midfield really opens up a lot of things because he draws a pole, or if he doesn't, he's going to get to the rack and you're going to have to slide. Smith is such a, a lethal rollback dodger. He sets up his moves and rolls back to pay dirt, gets back to the middle of the field. And that's been a huge plus for the whip snakes. Uh, obviously you got Zed Williams on the right, Matt Rambo on the left, some kind of inside presence would go a long way for the whip snakes. Uh, and Jimmy Stagnita continues to use Keegan Khan during stoppages. They love to diagram invert plays for Keegan Khan. It's like, it's like the most bizarre thing. You got Zed, you got Rambo, you got Brad Smith, you got Tucker Dordovic. All right. And Stagnita draws it up on the board. Okay, Keegan, you're going to get the ball at X. And last week, uh, you saw one of those plays end up in a, in a beautiful, beautiful whip snakes goal. So he knows what he's doing. Keegan Khan is really, really fast and hard to cover if you short him on a dead ball. I may pull him off a dead ball, take them out of that play, and then maybe try to change some matchups and throw him a curveball off a stoppage. Chrome. <clears throat> Chrome right now. Last place. This is a group that's really kind of struggling at one and seven. I flew to Denver with Colin Heacock, the former boys Latin and Maryland star, who's playing a midfield role. He's his best at his wing. I thought Colin played a strong game, but this offense is uh, struggling big time. Uh, they're not passing the ball. They don't have a quarterback. Their shooting percentage is super low. Their transition is just not sufficient, uh, and they're not getting anything in two-man games. They're not creating matchups. You know, the pro game is much different than the college game. College offense is team schematics, team movement. The pro game is matchup-based. It's finding a matchup and picking it like a scab 
or a mosquito bite. It's creating matchups using well-set picks. And we don't see very many moving pick calls in this league. You set good picks, you get rewarded because it changes matchups. Then your spacing is essential after that. When Michael Sowers has got a shorty, everyone else has got to do their job to drag their guys to the ideal areas. A, give Michael space. B, create passing lanes. C, when the double comes, what's our ball movement look like? Are we going to X? Are we going up top? How are we getting to the weak side? How are we getting inside? That's how offense is played at the PLL level. Okay, It's not set plays diagrammed from the sideline where all six parts are moving. It's matchup based. And every team enters every game going after two or three defensive players with certain matchups, and they're going to try to create those matchups. And the Chrome have been widely, wildly, wildly, inefficient in creating matchups that their guys can win to get the defense in motion, to get good step-down looks. Because one thing you notice in pro lacrosse, if guys have their feet set and clean vision and free hands to shoot from 12 and in, more than not, they're going to score, especially if those looks are from the middle of the field. And you know, you, when you look at quality of shots in this league, getting to the middle matters, having feet, hands, Time room bullseye, as Eamon McEnany would said, would say, when you have time room bullseye in this league, you're going to turn and rake. Uh, and that's what the good offenses in this league, the Atlas, the Cannons ball movement has been spectacular. And the, that's why these, uh, these teams like the Archers and the Cannons are so fun to watch. The last team I think we got to break down would be the Chaos. Question marks with, with Josh Burns' health. Looked like he pulled an oblique or a rib during a shot a couple weeks ago, he did not play in Baltimore. He did not play in Denver. I think without their star, they're not a, a title contender. Yeah, they could win a quarterfinal game. They could win a semi. Or I, I just don't see them winning a championship without Burn. Ultimately, their offense recently has been Brian Minicus from X. Ty Kurtz has looked good on the right wing. And uh, Chris Cloutier played a remarkable game in Baltimore from the midfield. But... Again, they're going to be a little short on the midfield O. When Burns at attack with Dane Smith uh, operating from up top from the midfield, that gives them a shot to win a title. Dane Smith's passing skills from the midfield are second only to Tom Schreiber. This is a guy who draws doubles. He passes through traffic. He throws people open like a, like a football quarterback. So Smith, Byrne, and company with their stout defense that I like a lot. I mean, I like Jack Rowlett. I like Jared Newman. Uh, I, I like what Will Bowen has given him as a rookie. He's really active as a slide man. He's kind of held together their their uh, off-ball concepts, uh, and he's been great off the ground in the clearing game. So you got Blaze Reardon. You got a strong defense. You got an occasional twos in transition. But with Byrne healthy, I would consider the chaos as a title contender. If Byrne comes back and he's not the same guy, I just don't see it. Uh, so it's as simple as that. We'll see how the chaos finish. There's no team. Andy Towers has always understood this format maybe a little better. He's, he's, he's got the self-confidence not to worry about being four and four, not to worry about being less than 500 during the regular season because this format, only one team gets left out of the quarters. And so development, improvement, and finding your stride, finding your rhythm for this last push this late August to September push is most important. This is not 
college lacrosse where they're going to have a selection show and the Atlas aren't going to make it. The Atlas are going to make the postseason. And then it comes down to one game, a quarterfinals. And who would you rather have in net? Would you rather have Blaze Reardon or, or you can pick any other goalie in the league? I'd rather take Blaze. Uh, and, and so I think Coach Towers has continued to experiment to try to find his lineup. I think he's found his lineup right now. But they just need Josh Byrne to be healthy and back in there with Dane Smith, with Smithers, with Minicus, you know, creating some uh, some rushes from behind the net with his speed, uh, with Ty Kurtz throwing some righty bombs from the wing. So I, I, I just think so much rides on one injury if you're a fan of the chaos. Again, I hope you enjoyed this solo edition. PLL on Friday and Saturday from Seattle, Friday night's game. I think it's 9 o'clock East Coast time on ESPN2, doubleheaders, and then they'll wrap up the season on August 25 and 26th in Salt Lake. Kark will be there for that. Chris Cotter will be calling all the playoff games. Boyle will be on the mic throughout the playoffs, and I'll be joining the group for the finals on Sunday, September 24th from Philadelphia on ABC. Uh, my football schedule starts – this is my last weekend off until December. My football schedule starts in Atlanta, as I said, the HBCU Classic, the Miak Swack Challenge, Tiffany Green, Jay Walker, whose son, Jewel, uh, plays at Gonzaga and is a verbal to Ohio State to play lacrosse there. Always great to see Jay. Uh, and we'll get things started. Uh, kind of turn the page with my eyes still on the PLL and football. It's a fun time of year. The weather – I just love the September weather. Week two, I'll be headed to uh, – it's actually week one. I'll be headed to Texas A&M where the temperatures every day are hitting 105. So that'll be interesting to see what that game looks like on September 2nd. Uh, if, if, if I get just crushed by the heat, it's a night game, so maybe it'll cool down by the time we kick things off. Hope everyone's having a great summer. Continue to uh, watch the PLL. If you're a young player, don't be afraid to take a little pad to the TV or get on ESPN Plus and watch some replays because there, there are things being done here that you should you should see. You should try to mimic. You should try to copy. You can try to incorporate. Uh, dare to dream and and dare to dare to pull off some of these moves that these Dodgers do and and understand the, the skip lanes and the vision and the team offense that we're seeing. There's some great stuff that I've seen this summer. The players have been just unbelievable to deal with pregame, whether it's at practice or you know in their warmups and just telling me stories and letting me know how their lives are going. Uh, and then once the game starts, uh, with, with their competitive excellence, these guys, uh, they're giving it, they're giving it incredible effort. It's been hot, but man, uh, the fight, the, uh, the will to win the camaraderie, it's, it's really, to me, I, f I find it enriching, uh, even at my age, having covered this now for 20 plus years at the pro level, this, this stuff is, this stuff is great and I love it. Uh, and I hope when you watch our shows, you know, that Chris Cotter loves it and Ryan Boyle loves it and, and Paul Carcaterra loves it. And Dana Boyle loves it. Uh, I certainly love it. And I'm very grateful to call the games with my friends uh, from, uh, from these vantage points because uh, I'm just, uh, just blessed. And uh, thanks for coming along for the ride. So uh, watch the games in Seattle. Watch the games in Salt Lake. And I'll see everybody uh, as we turn the page towards the playoffs in college football. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this uh, solo edition, this ramble-on edition of the Quintessential Podcast presented by our friend John Canaris at Axia Time. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. 
I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com. And we'll see you next week.